There were a couple birthdays uh, that I haven't had a chance to mention yet. Uh, one is shaking your head no. Overruled, Sister Rudy. <laughs> Sister Linda Rudy had a birthday on February 4th. Sister Parker had a birthday on February 7th. Happy birthday to them. Best wishes. We know we'll see you around for your next birthday. Amen. Uh, if you don't think I have your birthday, if I didn't mention it, it's because I don't have it. If you did have one. Uh, so hopefully I, I didn't. Hopefully I have all that information now. Again, uh, ladies, if you plan on attending ladies retreat this year, uh, which will be held in Wisconsin Dells April 22nd to the 24th, uh, please see Sister DeMuth to let you know so she can get a head count. Also, if you are staying down there and getting a room, uh, please have your room payments into Sister Becker by March 1st, and we'll get that taken care of. Amen. <clears throat> Let's all stand. We're going to open our service with prayer, if you can, if you feel comfortable doing that. Uh, I know after a long, hard day of work, I'd just rather sit down for a while. <laughs> but uh, we're going to pray for the City of La Crosse tonight. Uh, we'll pray for our service tonight. We're also going to pray against the spirit of fear. Amen. I do believe that, I don't know if it's the only stronghold, but I think the Lord is showing me that that is a stronghold in La Crosse, uh, the spirit of fear. And that's that probably should come as no surprise to me or us. The state of affairs as they are, uh, the media is... They're whipping that into a frenzy, I think, uh, that spirit of fear. So we're going to be praying against that uh, until it breaks. Amen. City of La Crosse, our service tonight, and against the spirit of fear. Amen. Lord Jesus, we do worship and we praise you. You are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah, Jesus. There is no one higher, there is no one greater than you. We give glory and honor unto the Lord our God tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are exalted in this place, you are exalted in every place. Hallelujah, Jesus. You alone sit upon the throne. Your decrees go forth and they are answered and they are obeyed. Praise God. I pray, Lord, for this city, that you would move mightily and wondrously in this city and in this county. I pray, God, that you would save with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm all those who live or work in La Crosse. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would establish your works in this city, that you would establish them in the spiritual bedrock, that you would rule and reign here with a rod of iron, that you alone would be Lord and God, that you alone would be Savior in La Crosse. Hallelujah, Jesus. Use your people, I pray. Mobilize them for this task. Let your name be magnified in this city. Let it be worshipped and glorified. Let it be exalted in this city. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray for our service tonight that you would move mightily and wondrously according to your perfect will and according to our desperate need. And let your servant tonight to preach and to teach the word of God with boldness, with power and with authority. Prepare our hearts and our minds, I pray, to receive the word of truth, that we would be doers and not hearers only. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we come against the spirit of fear in this place, 
in our congregation, and in this city. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I rebuke the spirit of fear. I bind the spirit of fear. I command you to shut your mouth and to be gone. The Lord Jesus has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The spirit of fear is not of God. You have no room here. You have no room in this service, in our minds, or in this city. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray, God, that you would that you would assuage our fears, that you would calm our doubts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify you. We give glory and honor unto you, most holy God. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here tonight and for all that you have in store for us. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. These things we ask in Jesus' name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I give glory and honor unto you tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless your people tonight, I pray. Encourage them. Minister unto them. Undergird them with strength. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated for just a moment. Tonight, uh, we are, we are going on with the theme of, of recalled. That is the, the district theme for this year. Uh, when I think of the word recalled, uh, I was in the army along with some of you. Uh, I got out in 1990 and, uh, in 19, at the end of 1990, 1991, George H.W. Bush started talking about recalling people back into service. And praise the Lord, I was one of them that got recalled. <clears throat> I wanted out. That's why I was out. And, uh, but then I was back in. I don't know how that worked, but they recalled me. I had done my time as I saw it, and uh, they pulled me back in. So uh, being recalled, uh, that's kind of a negative connotation, at least for me, but positively, being recalled back into something, being recalled back into service is, is something that is a good thing. Uh, if we already are in service, it helps to, to uh, be recalled mentally or spiritually to to greater service, to refocus, to retask the resources that God has given us toward a specific end. And that's what we're going to be about this year, uh, recalling those things that God has entrusted to us. And there are a lot of things that God has entrusted to us, both physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, uh, financially, health-wise. He's entrusted a lot to us. And we are going to uh, get all of those together, and with laser focus, we're going to focus those on, on a very few specific things this year. And God is going to see, we are going to see God do great things. God, of course, will see great things being done. That's all he does. Tonight, uh, we're going to talk about this topic, the unpleasant truth about Christianity. And I admit the, uh, the title is perhaps a bit provocative. Uh, 
another generation might call it clickbait. Uh, but <laughs> there is, there is uh, some truth about this unpleasant truth about Christianity, and we're going to talk about that tonight. If we could turn in our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 26, and we'll read to verse 33. Luke 14, verses 26 through 33. And this is, again, Jesus speaking, and he says this, starting with verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Amen. So, that's something to jump and shout about, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe not. This isn't typically the uh, message one would speak for a Holy Ghost outpouring. However, this is the message we need to hear tonight. And it does end well. There's an idea, it's a business idea, uh, cost versus benefit, or risk and reward. The idea of a, a perception of value. And what we do is we look at something, we look at a circumstance, a situation, we look at something we wish to purchase, uh, something we want to get involved with. And we determine, okay, this is what I want to do. What's it going to cost me? And one, do I have the money to pay? And two, do I want to pay that much? And that's something we do all the time. Uh, we are we are always weighing these things out. I want to get up early so I can exercise, so I can pray, so I can read my Bible. I want time to read my Bible. I want time to pray. The only time I can do it is at 5.30 in the morning. Okay, that's the cost. Do I want to get up at 5.30 in the morning? Can I get up at 5.30 in the morning? So, we're always doing that. There's a reason that we drive the vehicles that we drive. There's a reason that we live in the homes that we live in. When I was uh, 19 years old, I was looking at buying my first car. And I was a young single lad, so I was not looking... Uh, for a minivan, I was looking for a, a hot rod, a sports car. That's what I wanted, something with power, something with style. 
And uh, so that's what I was looking for. I went shopping for, uh, I looked at Corvettes. They looked pretty nice. They were a little spendy on my uh, E2 salary. So <laughs> that wasn't going to work. That's what I wanted. I'd, I'd have rather had a Ferrari. I'd have rather had one of those nice vehicles. But I couldn't make the payments on a Ferrari. Now, I could make the payments on an old busted-down Trans Am. It needed a little bit of work. Oh, but that was my baby, my older Trans Am. Put some work into it. Got it looking pretty good. But I could afford that. I wanted more. I wanted a lot more. But I couldn't afford a lot more. This is what I could afford. So I kind of came to a, a compromise. I got as much as I could for what I was willing to pay. And our homes are the same way. I would love to live in a nice five-bedroom, four-bath mansion on the lake. That would be great. Wouldn't that be all right? I would live there. I can't afford that. So I don't. <laughs> I live in what I can't afford in. And so uh, these things are constantly going on. And Christianity, fortunately or unfortunately, is the exact same way. My Christian walk is pretty much entirely up to me. If I want more of God, I can get more of God. If I'm content where I'm at, I can stay right here. But if I want more of God, that's going to cost me something. And we in this church understand that. I can't just excel spiritually. I can't draw close to God. I can't become a, a prayer warrior and uh, proficient in spiritual warfare and, and in reaching the lost. I can't, I can't get to that place without it costing me something. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me at least some time in prayer, some fasting. Missing a few meals. Uh, my, my time is going to be used elsewhere. I'm not going to be able to play my video games or, uh, or watch my, my TV shows or, you know, whatever it is that I would have been able to do otherwise. I won't have time to spend with friends because I got, I have to, if I want, if I want this, this position with God, I need to spend more time in prayer. I need to spend more time with Jesus. I need to spend more time in the Word. And so all of these things costs us something. Now, not yet. The incident that occurred uh, between Jesus and the rich young ruler kind of uh, exemplifies this. Uh, that that account is is found in Matthew chapter 19 verses 16 through 22. 
And he starts off and he says, uh, I'm sorry, the, the account starts off by saying, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? I think that's a pretty important question. That's a, it's a serious question. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus saith, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? So far so good. I'm looking good. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This important question that was presented to Jesus was answered. It was answered. Jesus spoke very lovingly. He wasn't, it wasn't in condemnation. He wasn't trying to slam the lad. He spoke very compassionately, but he spoke directly. He spoke to the point. He cut to the heart of the matter. Jesus said, because you have a problem with money and possessions, this is what you need to do. You need to let those things go. If you give those things to me, I will give you in return everlasting life. And then... We don't see it in Scripture, but what happened was he started going through the cost analysis, didn't he? That's what I want. This is the cost. Is it worth it to me? Am I willing to pay that? The determination was no. He was not willing to pay that price. And so he walked away sorrowful. And, of course, Jesus led him. Walk away. The answer wasn't going to change. The cost wasn't going to change. And we can kick and we can scream and we can complain all we want. But the cost isn't going to change. It remains the same. For you, as well as for me, as well as for everybody else. So what is the unpleasant truth about Christianity? Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we understand that, that salvation is the free gift of God. But we can't stop there. When a new person comes into our church, and we're talking to them, and they're they're struggling with, with marital problems, they're struggling with financial difficulties, they're struggling with whatever it is, health issues. And we tell them, Jesus is the answer. Jesus will will be able to, to fix your finances if you give those to him. Jesus can repair your marriage. And he can. And he wants to. But it's a little bit more involved than that. If someone just gives their life to Jesus, they think everything's going to be great. 
And it's not. It's a lot better. It's a whole lot better. But my life isn't perfect just because I serve Jesus, and neither is yours. We still got the coal to deal with. I still got a car that may or may not start if it's cold. My windows don't roll up <laughs> when it's cold. <clears throat> but I serve Jesus. Every once in a while, if I'm not careful, I can bounce a check. But I'm a minister of the gospel. Why is this happening to me? Well, dude, balance your checkbook. You know? <laughs> Just because I serve Jesus, that doesn't exempt me from any of those things. And a lot of times, and I've seen this, and you probably have too, a, a new person who's so excited, they got the Holy Ghost, they've been baptized in Jesus' name, and things are just going wonderful. They're a brand new Christian, and they're, they're looking with these new eyes on the world, and everything is just really, really nice and good. And then something happens, and they're blindsided by it. What's going on? I thought things were going to be better. The unpleasant truth about Christianity is, yes, salvation is the free gift of God. Yes, God wants to take care of your problems. He wants to, to restore your relationships. But that's going to cost you something. And the more you're willing to pay, the more you're going to get in return. In a worship service, the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. If I sit there like a bump on the log and move me, you're not going to move me. There's no way. But if you come in with a hungry heart and you're worshiping God and you're receiving from the word, you're going to get a lot out of it. I don't care who's behind here. God's going to give you something just because you're putting into it. You're paying the price. And so, we need to understand and we need to let people know. Like Jesus let the, the rich young ruler know. Yes, I want to give you eternal life. Yes, I want to take care of these things for you. I want to be the Lord of your life and, and direct your paths. I want to do great things through you. But this is what you have to do. This is what you need to take care of. This idea that everything will be okay once I give my life over to Jesus is a lie. It's a, it's a, I don't know how else to say it. It's a lie. Your life will not be just peaches and cream from this point forward. It's going to be a lot better. I've heard it said before, and I absolutely believe it. The worst day serving Jesus is better than the best day out in the world. I think that's absolutely true. But I'm still going to have a worse day. I'm still going to have bad days. The tire's going to go flat. I'm not going to have the money in the account I thought I did. I may not get that promotion. Things happen. This is life. Christians in times past 
understood this. Now, I am somewhat of a, a history buff. I'm certainly no professional. I enjoy reading history. I enjoy learning from it. And one thing I've come to really appreciate is uh, historical pr- perspectives from the early uh, 20th century Pentecostals and uh, what they did, how they lived, how they uh, responded to situations and, and, and the, the, their times, their culture. And their, their ideas of sacrifice are a little bit different than mine. And I'm ashamed to say that. Their ideas of sacrifice were quite a bit more extreme. I've read of accounts where uh, there's a man by the name of J.T. Witherspoon. Some of you know who that is. Uh, him and his wife were coming back from a, a revival in Jamaica, I think. And... Uh, they were, they were so tired from that service that they had to, they had to, uh, a set of stairs to walk up to get to their, uh, where they lived. They couldn't make it. They had to sit at the bottom of the stairs for a while and, and just get the strength to get up the stairs. Uh, there's another account of, Brother Kilgore, James Kilgore, when he was a, a young evangelist in the Texas area, he was trying to get from point A to point B. He didn't have any money, uh, he w- and he ran out of gas. <laughs> and not only that, his wife was pregnant and went into labor right there on the side of the road. He's a preacher of the gospel. I'm trying to get to my next appointment. I'm in the will of God. Paul was in the will of God. (laughs) Look at his life. That cost him something, didn't it? But look what God did through him. Look what he accomplished because of he was willing to pay that price. And in our churches today, I... I know we're in the United States, and, and I appreciate every comfort that we have in the United States. I'm certainly not preaching against creature comforts, air conditioning, heat. All of those things are good, and, and I love them. <clears throat> but if all of that were taken away, if all of that were removed, could I still live for God? Could I still worship God? Could I still be thankful? <clears throat> Let's take it a step farther. If I lived in a country, this isn't too hard to, to imagine in these days, but if I lived in a country where the worship of Jesus Christ was illegal, would I come to church if I thought there were going to be armed guards waiting for me? Would I come to church if I thought that at any moment the police or the army could bust through and start shooting? There are people alive in the world today that do exactly that. They live with that. 
And when, <laughs> can you imagine trying to win someone to the Lord and have to tell them that? Yeah, you know, Jesus is the only answer. He is our salvation. But if you accept him, you could die tomorrow. <clears throat> there is a video that I've saved. I should have brought it. I don't know why I didn't. But anyway, it's uh, it's about a, a relatively new convert in, uh, I think it's Iran. It's in a Muslim country. And uh, it kind of details this young lady's struggles with uh, she loves Jesus. She's thankful for her salvation. But she's cognizant of the fact that that could be her death warrant. It could be her husband's and her children's death warrant. And the, the video goes on to say that she had, she had to sit her children down and explain to them that, it, you know, it's possible that one day men with swords will come through that door. And, you know, try to hide, but if they find you, just... Just close your eyes. And when you open them again, you'll be in the presence of Jesus. Now, I know we go through our own, our own share of, of difficulties and struggles in the United States. But we don't have to do that. I don't have to sit down with my children and explain to them that they could be dead because of our religion. And so other, other cultures, other, uh, Christians in the world, they understand this. They get this. This could cost me everything. And it is, it is imperative that as, as a child of God, this is not culture specific. This is culture agnostic. We belong to a larger culture, and that is the church of God, the kingdom of God. That is our primary culture. And in this culture, we understand that to live for Jesus Christ, I have to have it settled in my heart and in my mind. This could cost me everything. I have already given it to him. If that's already settled in my heart, I'm okay. Now I don't know if it's, I don't know if I'm going to lose everything for my, my faith or not. But in my heart, I've already given it to God. If He wants to take it, then take it. It's His anyway. It's not mine to begin with. We're stewards, right? We're stewards of these things. And if the owner wants to come and grab him back, we can't hold on to it. That includes my life. My life was given to me by Jesus Christ. This physical breath that I have, but more importantly, my eternal salvation was given to me by Jesus Christ. I didn't earn this. And I can't earn salvation. 
If God wants to take my life, who am I to say no? It's not mine to begin with. Acts 14.22 says this, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. John 15.18-21 says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Now, do we want tribulation? Of course not. Of course we don't. But if it comes, we can't shy away. We can't be blindsided and start thinking, why me? Why is this happening to me? The better question would be, why hasn't this happened before? Why has this cost me so little up to this point? Everything God has given us has cost us practically nothing. We live in the richest nation, the freest nation in the world. And all all the blessings that that entails. We have the right to meet here tonight and worship freely. I can carry my Bible anywhere I want. No one's going to stop me or arrest me because I have the Word of God on me. I've paid almost nothing compared to what other people in the world today are paying. Brother Nichols says... He's at at Pentecostal Assembly. He was a a missionary, if you don't know, to Belarus for 26 years. And some of the stories he has to tell are absolutely fascinating. He tells the stories about the the Urshanites uh, over in in old Soviet Russia that Andrew Urshan won to the Lord and, and their descendants. And he said that it was a very humbling experience to pastor some of the people, uh, who for a good portion of their lives were imprisoned in gulags. And the stories they would tell about their times in the gulags, they said that uh, obviously there, there was beatings and torture and things like that, harsh, harsh conditions. But they never really focused on that. They focused on, on the fact that... Uh, you know, a lot of the times, because the conditions were so so harsh there, they the guards would leave them alone. They wanted nothing to do with those areas of the gulag. They stunk so bad. They didn't even want to go in there. But that meant they were free to do what they wanted to do. They were free to worship. They were free to, to, to preach and to teach. They were free to, to talk about God in a way that they weren't free to do outside of there. And so... Rather than focus on all of the harsh conditions, they were thankful that they had that liberty in the gulag. And uh, just just a lot of really cool stories. But those are men and women that are living today. This isn't the first century church we're talking about. They're living today. 
And they're experiencing those things today. We ought not be surprised if it comes to the United States as well. I pray, I pray, I pray it doesn't. But if it does, we ought not be surprised. We ought not feel sorry for ourselves that we're suffering for the name of Jesus' sake. What price are we called to pay? Hebrews 12.1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We are called to discipline, to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to give our time, our talents, our money, everything we have to the Lord. Philippians 3, 7, and 8 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now that's a uh, that's a cost-benefit there for you. Everything he had was dung compared to what he gained in Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is probably the most accurate cost analysis I could ever, I could ever present. Like the rich young ruler, we are invited to lay all of our possessions on the altar, giving them back, in effect, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 12:11 says this, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Now I hear a lot about the first two, overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, but there's a third portion in there that needs to be addressed as well. <clears throat> they were willing to die. They had laid their lives on the line as well. And because of that, if we can lay our possessions, we can lay our time, and we can lay our lives on the altar of Jesus Christ, the enemy has nothing in us. He has nothing. There's nothing to remove. There's nothing to take away. We've already given it. There's nothing to threaten us with. There's no reason to be afraid. We can be bold in the Lord Jesus Christ at that point because we have literally nothing to lose and everything to gain. Now we're still talking about apostolic ministry. This is apostolic ministry. If we want to engage in that, as the apostles did, as the first century church did, we need to understand this. We are going to be effective. The Lord Jesus will use us mightily. But it's not free. It has to cost us something. 
Second Corinthians 4.18 says, I'm sorry, <laughs> why should I pay this price? Well, one we're commanded to. If we're going to be used of God, if we want any part of this, there's a price to pay. Now, that price is different for, from person to person. And that's something that could get stuck in our craw, too. I feel like I'm paying this huge price, carrying this huge burden. And this joker over here is doing more for God easier than me. He's winning all of these souls. He's, he's preaching all these conferences. He's, you know, whatever it is. I don't see him paying a dime. I'm trying to pray and fast and, and, and all of these things are happening to me. Why? 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 And we start feeling sorry for ourselves. And we start thinking, is this worth it? Absolutely it's worth it. And stop looking at this guy over here. God's dealing with him too. And I promise you, if you had a chance to talk to this guy over here, you'd have a different picture of what's going on. You don't know what this guy's dealing with. You don't know what he's struggling with. And he's probably looking at you the same way. Why does he have an easy street? Why am I having to go through all this? It just stop doing that. The reason you're going through what you're going through, the reason I'm going through what I'm going through, is for a reason. God has got to take something out of me and replace it with something he can use. That's it in a nutshell. If I'm struggling with something, if I'm dealing with something, thank God. God's working on me. He's dealing with something in my life that needs to be removed anyway. And once it is, God can use me more effectively. I can do more for God after that. So let God do what he is going to do. Pay the price he's asking you to pay. And then watch what God does afterward. Why should I pay the price? You're never going to fulfill God's call in your life. Not completely until you do. God is trying to get us to a place in him where he can do everything through us that he wants to. We can't imagine at this point what God wants to do through us. But it is powerful, it's miraculous, it's supernatural. But we have to get to the place where he needs us to be. And to do that, we've got to go through some things. I hate that that's the way it is. I hate that human beings have to, to, to go through these things to, to get to a place where we can be used. I don't like it any more than anybody else does, but that's the way it is. That's the way our fallen nature responds. So that's what God does. Why should I pay this price? God created you for more. More than we're doing right now. This is the gate to more. Jesus is coming back soon and the mission is not yet complete. There's a lot to do yet. And we don't have long to get it done. There's a city to reach, a county to reach. God placed us here for exactly that reason. That's why we're here. That's why we're not in Washington, D.C. or Anchorage, Alaska or anywhere else. We're here. 
This is our field. This is our mission field. And God is bringing us to a place where he can use us as a church to do exactly that. God desperately wants to save this city. He suffered on a cross and died for it. He didn't die just for you and me. Thank God he did. But he died for a whole lot more than just you and me. He died for the city. God help us to reach the city. Why should I pay the price? Because the enemy today has become so arrogant and so bold, he has got to be answered. He's got to be answered. He doesn't have the authority to do what he's doing right now. But we're letting him. The church is the only organism. It's the only structure that God has on earth to keep him in check. We That is one of our responsibilities, is to push him back. I don't think we're doing a very good job of it. As as the church universal, I don't think we're doing a very good job of it. And in the United States, you guys know, I love the United States. I love love the freedoms we have. I love the, the blessings that we have in the United States. But they have been such a detriment to our spirituality. And our, our ability to focus on what's truly important. We get so distracted so easily. And for the most part, it's, it's good and right things. I gotta pay my bills. I gotta provide for a family. I have responsibilities here. And those responsibilities, because of the way our government is right now, It takes more and more of my time to meet those responsibilities. Most people are two-income families right now because they can't do it any other way. And so, so when we're focusing the best of our, of our day, the best of our, our energies and, and mental focus on these secular temporal things, which we need to, we got the responsibilities, we need to take care of them. I'm not preaching, don't, don't take care of them. But we ought to be focused on more important things. There are more important things to focus on. And those are the things that are eternal. The temporal is going to pass away. All of this stuff that we focus on. I know people that they spend hours Hours every week on their car, buffing it out, vacuuming on the inside, and, and, and God bless them. I mean, their cars look awesome. But in five to ten years, that's going to be sitting in a junkyard somewhere. And where did all that time and, and energy go? I'm not saying don't take care of your car. <laughs> that's your thing. Go, go for it. But, my point is, the bulk of our time, the, our focus needs to be on something else. 
Yes, we take care of these things because we have to, but our focus, our passion, our zeal needs to be focused somewhere else. And that's the kingdom of God. The things of God have to be our focus. The things that are eternal has to be our focus. And because we've been so easily and so, so, uh, we've been distracted by these things for so long, we've allowed the enemy to encroach on areas he ought not be in. He's in our public school system. He's in our higher education system. He's in our government. They're everywhere. It's everywhere. And the church is just now waking up and, what's going on? It's been going on for a long time, pal. (laughs) Slowly, systematically, he's a very patient enemy. But even though he is where he is, we still have authority as the church of God over all of, all of his power. We have authority over the enemy. And in prayer, we need to exercise that. When we're praying for lacrosse, pray for the, pray for the, the, the leaders of lacrosse. Pray for the school board. Pray for the police. All of that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. This city belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, we need to switch our focus. We need to get our eyes off of this world so much and get it more on the eternal, on the kingdom of God, on the work of God that he has called us to do. God is looking for nothing less than our total and absolute surrender to him. He has got to be the Lord in our lives. He has got to be set up as ruler in our hearts. There's only room for one. It's got to be him. If it is him, then everything works as it should. God leads and directs us. He provides for us. He he calls us and he equips us and he sends us out to do his work. And we experience a fulfillment and a joy like no other. If something else is Lord and God in our hearts, then things are broke. Things fall apart. Things fail in our lives. If I buy a tractor, it's probably going to be to plow the field. I'm not going to put it on a racetrack and race cars with it. Kind of makes sense, right? You don't buy a tractor to race. People do, I guess, but yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to I'm not going to be racing Formula 1 vehicles in my tractor. Conversely, 
I'm not going to put the Formula One car out on the back 40 with a plow hooked up to it. Why? That's not what it was made for. That's exactly right. The Formula One race car was meant, it was built from the ground up to race on a very specific terrain. The tractor was built from the ground up for a very specific task, for power. We were built for a very specific reason, for a very specific task. And if we don't fulfill that, if we try to do something we weren't built for, it doesn't work. It won't work. Things will break. Things will fall apart. But if we do what we were built to do, what we were created to do, things work beautifully. Almost too easily. God will do things through us. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We've already read that verse. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. We haven't yet paid, and we never will pay what Jesus Christ paid for us. So if my Lord and Savior asks something of me, I'm going to pay it, because he's already paid so much more for me. He's given everything for me. He has every right to ask something of me. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it because he gave everything for me. We can never give more to God, and he'll never ask more from us than he's already given to us. In conclusion, John 16:33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. All of these things are true. All of these things are, are possibilities on the horizon. Yes, God is asking us to pay a price, to move forward in Him. But at the end, God has already provided the victory. What He is going to ask, what He has asked from us, is so little in return to what He gives. Paul counted his cost dung, that he may win Christ. He said in another verse, These light afflictions, which are but for a moment, worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory. His afflictions weren't light. And they weren't for a moment. Not by my estimation, but compared to what he got in return. They were light. And they were for a moment. Amen. When we allow Jesus to be God in our lives and we follow where he leads us, he's already given the victory 
over everything happening in this present world. The victory is in him. It has always been in him. When we give our all to God, he gives his all to us. Amen. And we can expect that. That's a promise he's given us. Amen. Let's all stand.